0: and welcome back to more of a comment than a question my name is paul connor and i'm joined by my friend and co-host Smriti metta Smriti, how are you how was the break welcome back welcome to 2021
1: yeah thank you um yeah you know that was the question Uh,
0: how are you how was the break break, How, how are you feeling
1: i'm all right the break was not great i'm feeling okay how about you how's the new baby yeah congratulations on yeah
0: thank you he's being a
1: dad yeah
0: he's doing well you know he's happy and healthy and growing growing fast um you know he's uh he like there's not much to it at this stage he just kind of eats and sleeps and poops eats and sleeps um yeah and you know we just have to (laughs) keep him alive but so far so good he turned one month old yesterday Um, which nice. was kind of a milestone, but yeah, so far it's not, yeah. it's not, it's not too bad. I mean, definitely like haven't been sleeping very well, haven't, right. haven't been very productive, but, um, right. no, it's been good. My wife, uh, my wife, Shidume, her parents were staying with us for about the first three weeks, uh, which helped a lot, nice. but they're gone now. So mm-hmm. yeah, we're just trying to get into a, a routine. We don't, he's not really in like, a Mm -hmm. predictable routine like we don't really know when we're gonna get to go to bed each night at this point but like hopefully (laughs) you know hopefully he'll settle into a routine soon but yeah um it's cool it's cool so should we introduce our first guest of 2021
1: all right. So for our first guest for 2021 is Rachel Orenstaff, who's a graduate student at, um, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And Rachel works with, um, Kurt Gray. That's your primary mentor. And also, do you also work with Keely a little bit as well? No, just Kurt. Just Kurt. Okay. Okay. Nice. Um, so Rachel and I actually met at SPSV last year, um, which was really nice. It was actually the one of the highlights probably the only highlight from SBSB for me was to hang out with a bunch of, you know, grad students from Chapel Hill. It was a very nice group, and we got to hang out one evening. Was- anyway, but we got to meet, and it was really nice, and I do remember, um, you know, somebody mentioning that we will get along, because we share, like, a lot of the opinions that we have on certain things are kind of similar, so I'm very excited to have you on. Um, And it seems like we've had, you know, similar things in our background, just a little bit. We've, you know, been in schools, worked in schools as well. Um, So do you just want to start us off and tell us you know, just your background because it's very, very fascinating. Um, yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, super excited to chat with you both. Um, first I have to shout out to my RA, Will Blakey, who convinced me to come on the show. Uh, He heard you two uh, mentioning me a couple of pods ago and then, uh, he convinced me, he said that, you know, that he would only, he would like stop looking up to me if I didn't come on. So (laughs) here I am. Thank you
0: very Uh, much. We appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Um, Yeah, so my background, um, it's kind of like a long, complicated story, but I grew up in Israel. Um, my parents are American, but uh, we moved there when I was five. Um, they're Orthodox Jews and believe that like Israel is the Jewish state and, um, yeah. that we all have the sort of like obligation to live there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up there. Uh, I was unschooled. So, um, that's similar to homeschooling except that there's no education whatsoever. It's basically just, mm. like, you do whatever you want, uh, you learn from life, and hopefully it turns out for the best. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, like, what... So
2: in your case, it seems like it has turned out for <laughs> And
0: this well. was till you were 15, I believe? Yeah. So, what did you do all day when you were, like, 13 and you weren't going uh, to school?
2: Well... <laughs> Earlier on, when I was, like, ages, I don't know, like, 5 to 12, uh, I mostly just read books. They weren't, like, educational books. Like, everyone at first is, like, really impressed. But I was reading, like, The Babysitter's Club and, like, <laughs> Goosebumps, you know, like, not... Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, reading is reading. But so you were
1: taught to read, like, your parents taught you to read Uh, and write and
2: i like pretty much figured it out on my own is what they tell Hmm. me like i i think i learned when i was like four so i don't have a lot of memories from back then but uh i mean they read to us when we were little and we sort of like would sit there and look at the book as they were reading and i think it just sort of like sunk in
3: wow
2: nice Um,
1: what about math like was there any
2: instruction in math when you were younger not at all Um, That was also just sort of, like, from the environment. Like, Mm -hmm. I learned fractions from cooking where I would, like, have to figure Mm -hmm. out measurements and, um, like, some math from playing Monopoly and having to, like, count out the money, things like that. (laughs) So Um, so it was very, like, practical.
0: And was this a sort of religious decision on the part of your parents or um, were you sort of part of one of those kibbutz things or like what what like why did your parents prefer you just to not uh
2: yeah it wasn't it's not really religious um they and and we like started being unschooled here in the states i mean i have older siblings who didn't go to school um you know before we moved there and uh, basically my mom has all sorts of interesting ideologies and you know she read a book about unschooling and she had a bad experience in school and so she was like Mm. i don't want i don't want my children's creativity to be oppressed and i don't Mm. want them to like uh you know Mm. i want them to like be free to explore whatever interests them and things like that and Mm. so yeah, and my dad pretty much just went along with it.
0: <laughs> happy wife, happy life. Yeah. So So then uh at fifteen, I believe, you went against your mom's wishes and enrolled in school.
2: Yeah. Um I I wanted to go to school basically like I had friends at that point who convinced me that I was like smart and that i sh- was like sort of wasting away at home and that I would be better if i like actually learned something um and so that whole process was like i did it all myself like i went to the like city town hall and i basically said like hi can i sign up for, for school <laughs> what do i do <laughs> uh, yeah wow
1: wow and so you started like in 10th grade or the equivalent of okay
2: yeah 10th grade
0: wow okay very very exciting so i guess fast forward a few years and i mean you're now in grad school um so yeah talk us about that and and maybe like introduce like your research interests and and where that that kind of came from as well actually
1: not fast forward there's a whole bunch of things in between that Mm. we should mention Mm. because that's also fascinating so you served um in the
2: military for some time isn't that right as well yeah Uh, Yeah. i was i mean that's i guess in
1: yeah yeah in israel it's israel it's required right yeah
2: Yeah. so it's it's not as interesting um to israelis (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but i was uh i was in an intelligence unit um and I'm not supposed to say too much about what we did there. <laughs> um, but, but I can say, like, it gave me, basically, like, we're, like, listening in on people's conversations, which I, everyone knows yeah. that everyone does that. Um, and I think that, like, really gave me perspective into, like, the so-called enemy. Um, yeah. because, like, growing up, my family is also very, right wing and um it was always like you know the the palestinians or the arabs are out to get us and they're our enemies and um i mean growing up there were i knew of like i knew two children in our town who were like brutally murdered and uh it was like a big thing as a small town everyone knew them yeah um and that was just like life right um yeah and so but then going into the military where i was like getting this whole new perspective and really just like hearing conversations of people that were just regular people yeah. and living their daily lives. And it just like sort of like really hit me that they're just people and like they believe <laughs> yeah. that the land belongs to them and we believe that it belongs to us. And like, who knows who's right, but, um, they're definitely not this, like, I don't know, sort yeah. of like they were dehumanized and made into a bigger monster than they are right yeah
1: kind of puts into perspective that you know boundaries are just man-made right i mean you hear stories from like you in know, wars and like you know world war Two, right after the sun went down everybody gets together and they have meals together and stuff right it's like we're all human at the end but that's great yeah so yeah tell us how you ended up in grad school and yeah what your research is now focused on yeah yeah um
2: so i guess just to to finish the trajectory of my life right. after the military, um, I ended up coming to back to the U.S. Um, I always wanted to move back here, and mm-hmm. I like didn't really know what I wanted to study in college. And um, in Israel, you have to like know ahead of time what you're going mm-hmm. to learn. What you're you know kind of the way it is in Europe, I right. think. Yeah. Um, and so. I decided to just come here and do, like, a liberal arts degree and take as many different courses as I could so I could figure it out. Um, and right. eventually I settled on psychology and philosophy for my undergrad. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in, like, everything that had to do with explaining human behavior, um, but I guess especially in, like, things related to the mind and um, mind perception and sort of, like, how do we – how do we like wrap our minds around like what's going on in someone else's mind where we can't see it. And all we have is like what they tell us or how they behave, but there's so much like going on under the surface that we don't know. Um, and that, and that, like, we really rely on that as like social beings. Um, mm-hmm. and so I don't know, it that always sort of like interested me. Um, yeah. And now in grad school, uh, I'm working with Kurt Gray, um, at the Center for the Science of Moral Understanding. Mm -hmm. And my focus is on political polarization. Um, So I was like, and I I guess I've always had this also like this interest in intergroup conflict. Um, And I think the intergroup conflict between Democrats and Republicans is especially interesting because it's not like other conflicts, like prejudice, where there's a group with high or low status, um, or, you know, there's no, like, war going on, like, with Israelis <laughs> and Palestinians. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like equals, st- more or less equal status groups who really hate each other, or s- so it seemed. Um, right. and, and I was just wanted to know, like, why and what can we do about it?
0: Mm-hmm. You mentioned, um, in one of your emails that um, you you have sort of uncovered some data that suggests that uh, people see their political p- opponents more so as uh, ignorant than immoral. And that sort of goes against some ideas like hate-like ideas of the moral foundations theory. And you mentioned that Kurt and Jonathan are like <laughs> – academic enemies (laughs) somehow i wasn't aware of that at all like i yeah i
2: wasn't either yeah
0: like i I mean i think hate's ideas are really interesting but i was interested in that research because it's always seemed to me that uh right-wing people think left-wing people are mainly idiots but i actually my prior was that left-wing people do think right-wing people are like bad people uh that was more my assumption but yeah you 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 have some data that suggests that's maybe not the case
2: yeah um so i guess first (laughs) i wouldn't say that they're enemies i mean i don't (laughs) i don't want to get into that uh too much but you know they they, there's this disagreement about um whether there's like five or six moral foundations or if it's all based on like um harm and perceived harm and things mm-hmm. like that but i'm gonna put that aside mm. um <laughs> yeah i so i have some data i think like a lot of people have your intuition um and paul where it, like it and, and i have a, a bunch of quotes in the paper that i'm mm. uh gonna that i'm working on um where people will say like liberals see conservatives as evil conservatives see liberals as stupid and that's mm. sort of like Mm. the framing um mm. and so basically we we went we set out to test it and collected some data um it's all MTurk data mm-hmm. uh but we collected it a bunch of different times and asking different ways and uh it, it tells a pretty consistent story that even like even, both sides do see each other as you know somewhat unintelligent and somewhat immoral but um there's a symmetry where they see, they both sides see each other as more unintelligent than immoral. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that like, I'm, I'm not really sure what the reason is, but uh, I, I think part of it is like, we really just like don't see people as immoral. Um, but mm. then part of it. Which I'm exploring a little, uh, further is that we tend to dehumanize, um, our political opponents. Mm. And there's this tension between, uh, wanting to see them as immoral, but also wanting to dehumanize them. Because when you think about morality, that sort of requires there to be an mm. agent, like someone who, you know, is intentionally doing something. Mm. Yeah. So would you say, would you call it, um, like,
1: not being intelligent, like unintelligence or ignorance, because those are different, right? You could be intelligent, but you could just like not know things. So it could be the case that people are just think that, oh, the other side just doesn't understand it. Like they just don't, you know, understand how things are. And the other sense that I got from your descriptions were that it seems like there's, I don't know if you guys measure it, but just locus of control, right? So it seems like For things that happen to people in life, it seems like people on the right are making more internal you know, attributions, but I think you do talk about attributions, right? Whereas the people on the left are probably making more, um, external attributions. And I think that's increasing now on the left more so, right? The sense of agency, um, which is usually, you know, central to like locus of control, right? I mean, there's research on that that shows that it is probably better for people to make more internal attributions to things, um, at least in the sort of like, um, the world that I'm in it's probably better for people to do that but I think on the left we're now seeing more and more people make more and more external attributions to everything
2: yeah so the attributions data that I have also like tie into um the same story but so I think we're talking about two separate things where you're talking about attributions about like one's own um behaviors where my data are all about perceptions of other other people um And I actually find symmetry there as well between mm. Democrats and Republicans where both sides view the other side as um having come about their political ideologies from external sources. Mm. So they see them. So I, I like a lot of my questions are, I'll ask um participants, like how do you explain your own ideology? Like how did you come to be a Democrat or a liberal? Mm. Uh, and they'll say, um, you know, I, I really care about justice. I really care about equality and like, therefore, you know, I, I'm a Democrat. Right. And then I'll ask them, how do you explain, you know, this other Think about someone, right. you know, who's a Republican, like, how do you explain how they're, they became a Republican and they'll say, well, they, they grew up in a Republican family and they right. were always watching Fox news and like all these external attributions um that are sort of like, on the one hand maybe making it like less blameworthy cuz it's like it's not their fault but mm-hmm. on the other hand and i think this part is p- probably more important it's making them um like less human like they they didn't even decide to believe in they don't even like really believe it um they're just brainwashed they're just going along with what they're right. told yeah that sounds like classic attri- you know fundamental attribution error right
1: Like, your own beliefs, you know, you would think that it's, you know, internal versus others' beliefs as external, kind of, yeah. Well, the attribution, yeah, for the self and the other are, you know, it switches based on whether it's the actor or the observer that you're thinking about.
2: Yeah, well, I I think, so, the interesting thing is that it's, like, the opposite of what you would expect from um, the, like, ultimate attribution error. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, that is, like, applied to groups um, and According to the theory, like, if you see your outgroup doing something bad, then you would ascribe more internal attributions. Right. Because, like, then you get to blame them. Um, but but if we think about politics, like, the it's outgroup the having around. their ideology, that's a bad thing, right? Like, mm. if I think about, you know, if a Democrat thinks about a Republican, that's it's bad that they're a Republican. But still it's not internal attributions they give them uh in external attributions hmm. so it's like like dehumanization is like a stronger force than um hmm. than like the the attributions theory so how def- do you define dehumanization
1: because that's just that seems like a very strong term to me in this situation but how but i guess that depends on how it's defined
0: and measured.
2: Yeah. 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 So there are a, a bunch of different definitions and measurements. Um, I get when I just now, when I'm talking about it, I'm, I'm sort of like in my mind, just using it as a placeholder for, uh, ascribing less agency and less mm. like control or authenticity over one's beliefs. Mm. Um, but, but so there mm. is, there's a lot of research on how, uh, political opponents dehumanize each other and Mm -hmm. it's there's a lot of like converging findings where um there's blatant dehumanization where they'll like show the blatant dehumanization scale where you see like um i think it's called like the ascent of man and you'll see like Mm -hmm. the image of uh you know like a chimp or Gorilla or whatever. Right, right, right. And then it just like transforms into, into yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you, there's a sliding scale and you ask them like, where along the scale are Democrats? <laughs> oh my God. And it's like, <laughs> like anytime I tell someone about this scale, like they, they're like, no way people do anything less than human, but they totally do. Mm. Um, and it's sad, oh. but it, I mean, that's, uh, I mean,
0: wow. you, you may as well just ask people, do you hate democrats like do you do you want to insult democrats in in some way right like i mean i yeah i I have questions about that scale yeah Um, but
2: then there's other skills um so there's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean i i I think i would also question that if Mm. that was the only uh finding but there's infra humanization where you um sort of like ascribe less complex emotions to your Mm. outgroup. yeah and so, like, they're seen as, like, less, you know, yeah. less of fully human, human. And yeah. So- and then there's, uh, one last one is, um, like animalistic and mechanistic dehumanization. Uh, so that's based off of, like, uh, human uniqueness and, uh, human nature characteristics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. basically, like, whether it's sort of like a, um uh, mm-hmm. the trade off, I think, like, and, and, uh, I think it was Crawford. I'm really bad with who mm. did what research, but, um, <laughs> uh, where they found that, like, people see liberals as more animalistic, where it's like more like feeling, uh, and like, you know, um, emotional, um, and conservatives as more, um, mechanistic, where they're like more. Mm like, yeah, machine-like, like, Like they they lack emotions and they're more, like, uh, Mm. rigid and, yeah, Mm. hard-hearted.
0: So, I, like, this research is really interesting to me um, and I think, like, I totally agree that, you know, humans have all sorts of subtle biases and and double standards that we apply to the world that, that can just drive polarization um, but you know, one thing I often think about is, is you know, it's one thing to identify these things, uh, it, like it's another thing altogether to intervene, to try to, uh, like stop them. And even just listening to you talk, I'm just thinking about a lot of Twitter conversations I'm seeing and Facebook conversations where even the mere suggestion that, uh, you know, <laughs> both sides have a part to play in driving political polarization and leading to political violence is now you know like st- strongly condemned as and now like people just say oh you're just both sidesing this is now just a, a label like that's attached to-, to to shut people up if they try to say anything you know crit- and um especially after the events at the capital which i want to i want to talk about a lot more, the uh, the reaction, a very common reaction that I saw on my Twitter feed was just people sort of using the event almost to suggest that, like, how, you know, how dare anybody ever criticize our side when this is what the other side does, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I saw one tweet um, that was, you know, that big letter, little letter thing where you're trying to sort of mock mock a position by putting it in Mm -hmm. that weird text it was like uh but the real problem is cancel culture uh and it's something like as if as if um you know bad behavior on the part of right-wing people is is this like slam dunk Mm -hmm. argument against the idea that there could ever be any problem with anything that uh left-wing people do or that you know we should so i'm uh, yeah i'm curious what you rate and i I'm aware that you've sort of frozen on zoom, so I'm not sure um you're you're hearing me right now, but I'm curious what you think about that like um I guess it's a two part question you know um w- like identi w- yeah w- we i actually think it's relatively easy to identify all sorts of biases and double standards and stuff like that, but also I think like maybe there's something to the argument that like okay well why why is it the left that always has to try to be aware of our biases and double standards when you see very little of that uh on the other side um and i'm wondering if uh yeah i'm wondering if you've been accused in this research of of both sidesing
2: um
0: or anything like that
2: so i haven't I guess I I haven't like done enough to be accused of anything yet which which is probably a good thing. <laughs> I mean I would like to to have published a bunch of papers and to be criticized um for them but but I'm still in the process of of getting there so maybe someday. Yeah. Um I mean I have been ac- <laughs> I have been accused by like uh people I know uh you know friends mm. colleagues mm. that just not not in a, like a vicious way but sort of saying like why like why why are you always both sidesing or uh you know hmm. um, I didn't
1: realize that was a term yeah, hmm.
2: yeah. Hmm. Uh, i think it's it's like really picking up uh momentum hmm. as a That's sidesing yeah hmm
1: What's wrong with that? Yeah. This is, I mean, there's two sides to every story, but I guess, yeah, people are not up for nuance these days. So I can see how that's a problem.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess the, I mean, the argument against it, I think what John Jost would say is that, like, well, one side is clearly worse than the other here. So, like, you're just, you're deflecting from the real problems in our society if you want to talk about Antifa uh in the wake of say the capital the capital riots um so if, like if um and i i don't know i i think it's quite a, a weak position because it seems yeah, uh, yeah another tweet i saw I think Thomas Chatterton Williams was tweeting about how, yeah, like we had a whole summer of violent left wing protests yeah. that the media was sort of cheering on, and any mm. anybody that sort of criticized it or came out against rioting lost it lost yeah. their job or got widely condemned or cancelled um and somebody in the comments was saying like, um no, like you you shouldn't." You shouldn't criticize, um, the extremists on the left because that drives polarization. And I, it just struck <laughs> me that that, to me, that just seems obviously almost exactly wrong. Like, and I think yeah. we talked about this when we had, um, your colleague Manny on the pod is like, surely, uh, you need people on both sides willing to like criticize the extremists on their own side. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we, if, if the entire sort of left of politics, is completely silent about the, ex- like, extremes of sort of the yeah. left, surely that can only drive polarization. Um So, like- And what's- Go ahead, go ahead, me
1: Oh, I was just going to say, and people fail to understand that criticism is more effective when it's coming from your own side. Like, I don't mm-hmm. know how many how many people have read, like, persuasion literature, right? The message of, if you're trying to persuade somebody one way the or the other, right, the people who are more persuasive are the people who lose in the, right, the people who are arguing against their own interests, right? So if mm-hmm. you're on the left, like, it is not in your interest to criticize people on the left, right? But Mm. it is more effective because then you know that you're not doing it because if somebody on the right is criticizing the left, well, they're just doing it because it's the other side. Mm. But if somebody on the left is criticizing the left, I think it's just more effective because then you know that, you know, you're sort of
3: Mm.
1: like your intentions are not. And I think that's why people maybe have a problem with. Criticize. That's why I think people have a problem with those who are sort of, you know, boatsiding. Is that the term? Side, because it, it's uh, it's, citing, it's more it's citing. more effective as criticism when you criticize your own, you know, the party that you belong to.
2: Well, I mean, I would argue like that maybe it's not effective if like just you know looking at the consequences and seeing what's happening. It doesn't seem to be effective. Like it seems that we're people like us are just getting backlash for it right
1: oh i meant like effective not like that it's actually working but i think it's a it's a stronger it's a stronger version of it like right like if the same argument against the left is made by somebody on the right i don't think it's as strong because there you can always say that the intentions are just to attack the other side
0: Hmm. right yeah well that's yeah i mean i guess i was going to say the same thing Rachel I don't know how effective I don't know how effective any argument is in this in this climate and it, it- this problem just seems to be getting worse and worse I-, I don't know if you saw there was a survey that came out mid to late last year um and it was pure, like one of those survey companies, uh, and they've asked this question sort of year after year, going back decades, of like, mm-hmm. ca- is political violence ever justified? And it's it's always been a very low two, three, four percent of, uh, and, but now like on both right and left, that number has just dramatically jumped in the last few years and it was something like 15 16 percent of both sides were saying yeah no I i do think political violence is justified sometimes and it does seem to be corresponding with more that's crazy more political violence in our streets
2: yeah so i guess a few things um first i think like and this this sort of ties back to the um post that i wrote for the pipette pen where i tried to like flip The stats on some of these um figures because like yes it has risen dramatically but at the same time it's still like a small percentage of people um like i mean i i don't know you you can argue about like how small 15 percent is but it's definitely not the majority and it's not like anywhere near the majority um so i think that's something to keep in mind um and that, that sort of like argument, um, is kind of like a, a larger, there's a larger literature on, like, there's an argument on whether there is political polarization or not. Hmm. Um, and so, like, <laughs> are people polarized on that question? <laughs> yes, they are very polarized.
3: Oh, <laughs> I,
0: I, God, I, I thought it wasn't in question at all. Can you yeah. s- sort of steel man the argument that, Yeah, it's it's illusory.
2: I can try. So first, I think it's important to sort of like define our terms. Um, And political polarization is there's two two sides to it. Uh, There's ideological polarization, which is basically like how much are we split on our views about like policies, values, things like that. Mm -hmm. And then there's affective polarization, which is how much do we hate each other um so yeah most of the debate is on the side of ideological polarization uh, mm-hmm. and there basically the the argument um which is put forth by uh Morris Fiorina is that um most people in America are either moderates or independents or just like not politically involved and that's true like if you look at surveys um any of these like national polling right. organizations like mo- there's a nice bell curve most people fall in the middle they just mm. like don't really care or have very uh weak opinions right. um and so when we see like extremists on both sides like they are the minority on both sides like they're they are extreme um like aptly named because they're not like <laughs> everyone else
3: yeah
2: Um, but then on the affective polarization side of things, I think there is more agreement that like things are getting worse. Mm. Um, but there's also issues with the way it's measured. And so, so like two issues are, um, one is that, uh, I think it was Clara I don't know. Um, they, they, uh, argued against, um, basically there's like this social distance measure that Mm -hmm. people use, um, basically asking, uh, how would you feel if your son or daughter married someone from the opposite party? Mm -hmm. And as like over the past few years that has like gotten way worse where people like don't want inter-party marriage. Mm -hmm. Um, but then, What they're arguing is, like, it's because people don't want to talk about politics. And just, like, when you say, like, you're going to have a son-in-law who's a Republican to people who are Democrats, Hmm. in their mind, they're thinking we're going to be arguing about things over Thanksgiving, and they're Hmm. not thinking, uh, like, okay, Hmm. that's just their their ideology, right?
0: That's Um, (laughs) – I'm not sure that argument fully works, because even if that's true – if people now uh, are much more averse to arguing about politics over at the dinner table than they were 20 years ago this is sh- uh, surely indicative of some meaningful change it, i actually that, think they must have a reason less... they're much they're averse they don't want to <laughs> argue about politics over the dinner table right
2: yeah i think that's a good point um yeah not I, I think it's it's important for us to know, like, what we're measuring and to just define it properly. Mm. And if what we're measuring is aversion to politics, then mm. we still have the question of, like, why are people averse to politics? But it's maybe not the same as saying, like, people hate people from the other party.
0: No, mm, um, that's interesting. Okay. I don't
2: know if
1: there's data on that, but I actually think people are less averse to talking about politics now than they used to be. Like, from what I hear, at least in America, it seems like back in the day, like people would just not talk about politics, you know, with coworkers, with. This is talking, talking to people
0: who disagree with you. I think people are happy to talk with in their, in their sort of ideological bubble where everybody agrees. And.
1: But if you don't talk about it, you don't even know who's in your bubble, right? Like, if you're coworkers, but politics just never comes up, then you just don't even know who's a Republican and who's a Democrat. Right. Like I think it back in the day, I from what I gather from just talking to older people is that you know, you would just never have conversations about politics with so I think the the, the mm-hmm. fact that somebody thinks that they now don't want their children to marry people who right, like because if you just never talk about politics on Thanksgiving dinner, then it doesn't matter who what the political ideology of somebody is, right? But it's like it seems like people want to talk about politics and they're like, Oh no, but I want people who agree with me to talk to with. Um, you know.
2: I think my understanding of it, um, and this may not be right. I'm not, I don't know. But my understanding is that it used to be that people were not so homogenous, um, and in their networks. And so, like, there was a lot more, a a greater chance that you would come across, like, people that you work with or your neighbors who have opposing politics. And so no one talked about politics. But now because like, literally everyone you know has the same political views as you, then because of that, like, everyone's more free to talk about politics. But then, you know, that makes them even more averse to, like, someone joining from the other side because, like, then things will not turn, (laughs) no longer be an echo chamber and they'll have to actually think about what they're saying. But, yeah, like, I don't,
1: like how else do we like you know mitigate polarization if not to bring people closer to each other you know but it's yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) there's i can tell you um what the literature has to say about reducing Mm -hmm. affective polarization yeah so uh, yeah a few things that people have tried were um priming like american identity so this is a lot of this is taken from like classic Uh, intergroup conflict literature. Mm -hmm. Uh, So priming, uh, American identity, Mm -hmm. then like Democrats and Republicans stop thinking about themselves as just Democrats and Republicans. They think of themselves as Americans Americans. and, uh, they get along better. And, you know, that there is small effects in the study. You know, it's a lab study or a survey. So. But I do, but don't you
1: think the whole, uh, the um, situation at the Capitol probably worked like that, where people stopped thinking for a second as, like, Democrats and Republicans and thought as Americans and was like, this is, you know, batshit crazy. This is very un-American and, you know.
2: Yeah, I think that lasted for, like, five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) But, but hey,
1: we saw a glimmer, I'm like.
0: (laughs) Hey, I don't (laughs) know. I saw a uh, Pew... I saw some Pew data just today, uh, or maybe yesterday, like, pretty major drop in support for the president um, uh, and and how he's handling um, the situation. And, you know, it was like 18% uh, drop among Republicans. Like, the, yeah. Democrat, the Democrat number didn't have anywhere to drop to <laughs> because it's Donald Trump. So it was like... Yeah. I
1: think all the reasonable so, Republicans probably, yeah.
0: Yeah, right. So... <laughs> Uh, that's sad if only 18% of Republicans can be called reasonable, but I, it definitely, de- definitely there is a portion of American society that's pretty conservative, that's pretty Republican, that wasn't cool with what happened yeah. at, at the Capitol for sure. Yeah. I mean, pretty much all the Republican leadership, um, condemned it, said this yeah. is, this is not acceptable. Um, those, you know, those hypocrites that have, be, you know, just been egging it on for four years and, and profiting from it and, you know, you know, yeah. um, accepting all the Supreme Court judges that Trump helped him get by, like, his uh, lies and rhetoric and stuff like that, which yeah. I, I found pretty – you know, like, I'm glad Mitch McConnell said, this is crazy, we can't yeah. do this. Like, there's no evidence that the election was stolen. I'm glad he finally right. said that. But, yeah. like – yeah, dude. Like you've been more more than happy to go along with you know Everything whatever else. lies. You know, finally, when you think it's in your best interest to split with yeah. Trump, you'll split with Trump. And and this is, I actually kind of like the people who are sort of knowingly dishonest and Machiavellian upset me kind of a lot more than the people that I think are just mis- misled. Like I, yeah. I, I th- like those protesters. I I think like a lot of them honestly just oh, be- yeah. believe what the Talking Heads tell them, uh and honestly believe in these conspiracies, and 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 that's that's more sad to me than like like I find it hard to like really hate those people or resent those people, but like the I don't know I, I feel like there are people who like Ted Cruz for example, he knows that the election wasn't stolen. Uh, but he was, he was, he was saying things like, well, you know, like 60% of American, you know, 60% of Republicans have doubts about the integrity of the election. So we have to, we have to carry out a, a probe. Uh, we have to carry out an investigation of it rather than, you know, just saying what he knows is ob- obviously true. And, and so, and that, you know, that plays a part in that mob being there and doing what they did and, you know the people are dead because of it it's um yeah. that they, that upsets me more than the people who I just think are misled fools. <laughs>
1: yeah i just saw there was um i was just watching it yesterday abc put out like a special like an hour special of the whole thing the whole day of it i watched it that um, was amazing yeah, actually it, it, was really highly, worth watching. it was really good yeah i highly recommend it and i was just like crying through half of it i don't even know why it just made me so emotional. but it just feels
3: mm.
1: like you see those people just going in and desecrating the Capitol, and you're like oh you know, I'm not even American. And it made me, like, very upset. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just, you know, it, uh, yeah. It, it, I, I agree, though. That these people, like, don't know any better. But the people who are really
2: egging them on, I think they're the ones to blame. Yeah. But, I like yeah. how you're... Um... Supporting my theory of that and just calling everyone stupid and brainwashed. <laughs> well, um, it's yeah,
0: it's kind yeah, of undeniable, yeah. right? Like, I mean, but it's
1: also but it's also supporting my theory, <laughs> which is that people need to get a good education mm. so that they can, you know, not be fooled by these. You know, how else are you supposed I mean, to get people? Didn't
0: Ted Cruz to- got Stanford or Harvard or Yale or something like that. But I that think like mean he got like a you good education. Get, you can get plenty of educ. <laughs> I mean, yeah,
2: but he's yeah, not but one of different. the. He's not one of the ones who were like brainwashed really in it, Yeah, <laughs> he's the one who's brainwashing others.
0: Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I
2: don't know. I don't know how uh, educated or not the like the people who stormed the Capitol were. Um Like <laughs> I think no. Like I, I like it's true that you know uneducated people. I don't I actually don't know if this is true. I think that they're like probably more likely to be misled um by like fake news and things like that Mm. but it's also more educated people are more likely to be like extreme like political extremists and like Mm. politically active like the really uneducated people just don't care
0: (laughs) because yeah 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 yeah. Um, i mean we know but yeah you know who a few of them were right like there was a there was a state rep um who has now resigned that one one was like a ceo of some company like it wasn't i guess what i'm saying is it, it wasn't just like high school dropouts that were there like there was a pretty diverse crowd of people maybe not in terms of skin color but like socioeconomic background at least i don't know i don't know and i i think like that um, I mean, the, the reactions, I mean, the reactions have been really interesting. I thought your thread, Rachel, about, and this yeah. is something I've wanted to say for so long, but I've kind of never had the courage to say it on Twitter, <laughs> is it's amazing how, so you, you did a thread that I really liked where you were sort of like, nice. um, collecting, um, accusations of hypocrisy, uh, cause there's been a lot, right, in the last few weeks and sort of pointed out at the end, how often these accusations work just as well in reverse, like as soon as you flip them. Like, so one example was, you know, uh, on the day of the riots, it, all I heard, oh, I just saw this tweeted again and again and again as if it was some like really clever thing to say is like, these were the people who said back the blue all summer, right? These, these were the people who said that they supported police all summer. Now they're fighting police. What hypocrites. And it's always, whenever I see these things, I'm like, how do you not see that this works in reverse? Right. Because like, but you were saying defund the police all summer. And now you're saying, how dare you, (laughs) how dare you fight police? Or like, where are the police? Like we need mass arrests here. Um, so yeah, like I, it's, it's pretty amazing to me how often these accusations of hypocrisy, people seem blind to the obvious reverse hypocrisy going on. And so, yeah, I know, I really, I liked that thread. I don't <laughs> yeah. have a question. But.
2: I didn't feel, I didn't feel like I was being courageous and saying that because I didn't feel like I was really saying anything. I was just mm. but like, here's an observation, you know, that mm. people are doing these things. But then someone, I think, commented and pointed out, like, aren't you afraid of the backlash mm-hmm. or, you know, getting fired or whatever. Uh, so, so that made me think about that, but (laughs) I don't, but I don't, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to, I guess I am, like, a little bit both sides in that I'm saying, like, both sides are calling the other side hypocritical, but I'm not even saying that they are hypocritical. I'm just pointing out that that's what they're doing. And I think, like, it's not super productive to be calling people hypocritical. Like, that's part of, I Mm. guess, my, critique in, in collecting those, mm. um, accusations because, like, I think we did have a moment when everyone stormed the Capitol where we could have, where, you know, we, we united a little bit, um, mm. and, mm. and it could have, like, led to more, mm. but almost immediately it turned into accusations of hypocrisy and, like, what if, you know, what, what would have happened if they were black or, like, mm. why, where were all the police and, um, and, like, it just seems like, yes, those are important questions to ask. And, like, but I think you can criticize the over-policing of peaceful demonstrations over the summer without having to say, like, look at what, you know, look at this and see how how it's, mm. like, different and what yeah. look at the hypocrisy. Like, it's mm. enough to just have it stand on its own merit without mm-hmm. having to...
0: Like, right. call I,
2: it out as a double standard.
0: I want to... Maybe we can edit this part out uh if we, we don't have good things to say about it. But I kind of wanted to ask both of you what you thought about that point. Because, I mean, that was one thing that we saw a lot, right? Like, Im- imagine if these protesters were black. Imagine if this was a Black Lives Matter protest. Imagine yeah. how the police would respond. And I... My, like, obviously, like, we're dealing with a counterfactual that we ha- we haven't seen. Uh, and, but I don't know. I, I don't know what to think about that. Part of me find, find it, found it compelling, right? Like, and this was one of my first reactions is like, oh, like, imagine it, imagine if they had been black. Imagine the different response. Um, but I'm also, yeah, like, I mean, because people were saying, I guess, what I have, I guess, two points I want to make, right? Um, one is that, like, so the, the assumption is like the police themselves are kind of racist. They're part of this racist institution. And so if a protester is kind of coming at them, fighting them, and that is black, they're more likely to just kill that person. Um, and like, yeah, we've, we've sort of, we talked a little bit about this, like the, the data in the social science literature is not that clear that there's a racial bias in desi- police decisions to shoot. I saw this interesting um uh, interview with a cop who was saying like he was fought, fighting people and they were trying to grab his gun. So he totally knew that his life was under threat. And he said my decision not to shoot in that case was because i knew that i couldn't kill all of them and that they'd probably get my weapon and that if i killed some of them that would give them justification for killing my yeah, partners okay. so it was more just this sort of decision of like like and he started he said that he started yelling i have kids i have kids he was like to him in, in that situation, that was how he thought right. he could get out of it alive and help other people get out of it alive. So he wasn't, he didn't feel in a position of power just to start executing people. He he knew that he probably could have killed a couple of them, but he was thinking that that would have much worse consequences for him and other people oh, as well. Oh, you're frozen. Oh, um, well, I can, I can still hear you guys. So the other thing. Um, the other thing was like it, if I was a cop, I think like I might be a bit more scared of the, the Trump mob than I would a left wing mob, uh, just because of stereotypes about gun ownership and mm-hmm. just how crazy I kind of think these people are as a baseline. So like I might be more unwilling. Or to use force just like kind of what this cop was saying based on the fear of the backlash or what that could er like elicit from that mob rather than uh you know like just this racist like desire to kill black people right and so like that in itself could lead to a different reaction to the different protests but that's not really a positive stereotype about the white trump supporters it's actually kind of a negative stereotype of like uh, these people are kind of unhinged q or non supporters a lot of them love guns uh let's try to resolve this peacefully um whereas you know like maybe an antifa or a black lives matter protest it's like uh, they most of them are just these hippies like limp wristed left wing kids we can you know we can handle this uh so yeah like it's it just really wasn't obvious after thinking about it a bit more that you could clearly just look at the police reaction and say uh like this is the police like yeah they're just white supremacists that's why they reacted the way they did because like they didn't let them in i mean that was a total false narrative that people were spreading that they let them in no no like they fought them like police policemen died fighting them uh and they also shot a lady to death in the neck like that's not letting people in um so it, it just was wasn't army oh. veteran yeah i
1: just yeah. didn't
0: think i just didn't think it was an obvious and fair thing just to look at the police reaction and just condemn the police as white supremacists. Uh, this yeah. is th- your reaction to this protest proves that you are a white supremacist institution i don't know what did you guys think i man i talked for a long time now
2: Um, well, one thing, I don't know if, uh, this is fake news or not, uh, now I'm questioning, but I think I like, I think that, you know, the police are not just like one monolith and there were a bunch of different cops there, but I think I saw like some of them are under investigation for like cooperating or being too friendly with the the writers or whatever yeah. um and i think like the people like,
1: were taking selfies with them and yeah, stuff, yeah things
2: like that which maybe was just like a way to you know calm yeah, and, calm, yeah calm them down a little bit right. but maybe not like you know it's completely and this also
0: happened in, in plenty of police were taking selfies with black lives matter protesters oh, and t- taking and a, a knee and take a with knee them. as well that's and stuff true. like that. So like I, that's but true. you're totally right that they're not a monolith and there's different people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. But uh, so I think like one thing, my take on it is that the police were just not prepared. Um, I think that was the f- uh, a systemic issue. Uh, I don't know if it was like a mistake in intelligence, like an honest mistake, or if it was, more nefarious than that like uh, hopefully there will be an investigation we'll find out like what exactly mm-hmm. happened but i think because i think them being way less prepared for that than they were for black lives matter protests is uh something that you know like it, it is a real difference and uh it might point to something biased in the system but it might not. I think we have to, like, sort of know what, what the cause of that uh, lack of preparedness was. Mm. Um, but then once once we reach the point where they are unprepared, I think, like, they reacted the way they could have reacted. Like, if they did mm. start shooting people, they would, you know, it would have mm. led to way more deaths and destruction. Mm. And, uh, like, I think it's unfair to say, like, that that's what they should have done given the circumstances. Mm. Um
0: yeah. yeah, it's it's so just, I, it's not.
2: I mean,
1: th- I mean, I I do. I'm not sure it was just an oversight. Just because I mean, Trump has been tweeting since what like mid December that there's going to be this rally, like, and he obviously was going to sort of you know foment anger and stuff. And so the fact that there were just not enough people, it was just like the capital security people that were there. They were didn't even have proper gear, right? So it seemed like they
0: mm-hmm. just weren't
1: prepared. And it, I find it very hard to believe that you know that oversight was just accidental well but the well, other well, thing is Sriti,
0: i mean yeah sam harris talked about that like the the mayor of dc's like very left-wing uh is a black woman actually mm. and he was he was kind of talking about how that that could like part of the lack of police presence there might have been this uh this like reluctance to show too much force and i think there's also something in dc where trump has to sort of sign off on the mm-hmm. national guard being used which is why that that was part of why the national guard was delayed so much but i don't know i think i'm probably speaking out of and ignorance sense, right? on on why both why would you want the yeah. national guard yeah 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 totally um
1: but I mean I think the whole like I I was against the the you know protest even for Black Lives Matter. I mean we were in the middle of a pandemic. That was my issue. I'm like of course the rioting and the looting like that those are big issues. Like I'm I like I'm against violence in any case. Like it shouldn't have happened then. It should definitely shouldn't happen now. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I think another thing is like when people make accusations specifically saying like if these people were black, I think right. that's not probably not accurate. I think like it's more if they were Black Lives Matter protesters, which a mm. lot of them are white, um, you know, white allies, yeah. white supporters. Well, but that doesn't make it OK, right? Just because,
1: right, like it's weird to say, oh, you know, look at what the- if somebody murders somebody and they get away with it. It's like, oh, but they got away with it and I wouldn't. Mm. It's like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you should do it just mm. because somebody else is getting away with that that's not
0: yeah i mean yeah, i no. guess yeah i mean one one uh, analogy people were drawing is like well the police used uh, rubber bullets and pepper spray uh, against black lives matter protesters to clear the path so trump could get that um, right. photo photo opportunity in front mm-hmm. of the church and so they were comparing that to the response here and i guess like i i, I was watching the footage of it and almost but every protester you, think- you could see was white so yeah. i was like so how do you not see that that's, that's not really like necessarily a race thing on the part of the police? This is like Trump sort of being in charge and not liking that crowd because they were protesting him. Uh, but th- he did like this crowd because, but both crowds but even were,
2: they were being pepper sprayed, m- majority race. white. Yeah. Well, right. yeah. And also, I mean, there's research on how, um, well, there's this like question of like, are conservatives, like prejudiced against black people right. um are they more prejudiced and like there are, there are some researchers who argue that they're not like it seems like they are because black people are more liberal and so really they're just prejudiced against liberals mm-hmm. um rather than like it's so it's like an ideological basically what i'm saying is like what mm-hmm. we're looking at here is an ideological war it's not a Hmm. racial, racial war. war it's just yeah, that yeah.
0: black well, people we, tend yeah. to
2: be more on the left
0: and we shouldn't i guess we should <laughs> we, yeah we we can't be like absolute about this because there were literal nazis there right there was yeah, the definitely. Yes, yeah. The oh, absolutely. camp auschwitz t-shirt oh I'm, yeah i'm, I'm confederate I'm, flags you and you know i haven't <laughs> I haven't surveyed him, but I feel pretty confident that he would have some problematic views um about <laughs> black people. But I mean, for the most part, I kind of think a Trump supporter would like a black Trump supporter a lot more than they'd like a white Biden supporter. Mm-hmm. Uh And so I, I do think that even though I don't want to say there's nothing to do with race, like the conservatives in America have no problems with race, because I don't think that's true. I I do think it's possible to overstate it and, uh, like, overstate how much that's playing a part compared to, like, ideology. And I think then somebody could just say, well, ideology connects to race too, and it's this rich tapestry in this country going back all the way to slavery and the North versus the South, and I kind of think there's some truth to that as well. But by that point, I don't know, it's just really, really complicated, and I just don't think – yeah, I – Okay, one tweet I saw, I keep talking about tweets, I don't know, but like one tweet I saw was from some undergrad who was saying like, I'm so disgusted at the leaders of my field being psychology that they're not just willing to come out and clearly say that this incident is white supremacy, right? And I was like, no, I kind of like, mm. I, I well, I actually think leading scientists in a field probably shouldn't reduce a really complex social event to a like single variable and just make such sweeping statements but they uh,
2: also are doing that
0: and yeah Yeah, a lot of them plenty are are are. i mean yeah and like that kid he got you know like hundreds and hundreds of likes and he went he went viral so you know good for him but i just like i i would be kind of disgusted if leading scientists were so willing just to say like compress all the nuance and complexity out of an issue and just say white supremacy this is 100 percent white supremacy this is about nothing else um because I, I don't what know, I don't, are they basing that's true. the
1: white supremacy things on just that there were people that were literally nazis in the i mean to me it just seems like just they're doing this for trump right it's, it's like
0: yeah like which they just but that's seem why- to
1: it, he, that's, that's, he only that's, stands for that's the white proof, supremacy. Ruti. Yeah, yeah. That's
0: when we, I mean, we talked oh. about this after the election. Like, if you vote for Trump, you're a white supremacist. And if you, if you're there protesting about the stolen election, you're a white supremacist. And it's all, it all boils down to this one, this one variable. Um, but I don't know. As psychologists, I think like, we, you know, our effects are just not, not that large. We can't explain that much variance with any variable. So like the idea that we can reduce. Uh, this super complex event to one variable, I don't, I don't agree with you.
1: Yeah. And we don't have to keep this in either. I mean, but do you remember in the, in that, um, the ABC special, they start talking about how it's like the, you know, white people come in and make all the mess and then, you know, people of color have to come clean it yeah. up. Mm. And I was like, well, yes i guess there is those those disparities that lead to people of color being in more you know more such jobs where you have to do that but it just the the tone of that just struck me a little like like you're just trying to you know you're just handering to 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 an audience that's that wants to hear that Mm.
0: well that's one thing that one thing that i actually yeah i really liked the special and i even found that part fine like it was kind of moving and i you know like it was a very moving moving thing even to like non-americans and yeah, i don't know yeah, right Ra- Ra- rachel if you consider yourself i think we all might be non
2: well Americans. i i am i mean i was born here and yeah okay so yeah okay I, yeah. i'm a true american, true american. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's cool this is my country
0: <laughs> <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, you have to take, take it back for this <laughs> yeah. take,
2: take
0: the centrists. Yeah. But definitely do recommend watching
2: that special. It was yeah. a great
1: special.
0: Um,
2: I felt yeah. like the part at the end though, also with that, like, I think their narrative in there was a little bit different from the narratives that I was seeing on social media, uh, mm-hmm. about like the black people cleaning up the mess. I think their mm-hmm. narrative was a little more like hopeful and like uplifting. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't remember mm-hmm. what exactly they said about it, but they were mm-hmm. like, But but on on social media, there was way more of like, you know, we're making them clean up our messes and this is inequality and injustice and blah, blah,
0: blah. Yeah. But one thing it made me think of and I think is under-acknowledged is that like the left, unfortunately, and when I say the left, I guess I mean the Democratic Party um, and sort of legacy media, they have this unfortunate incentive to keep racial – tensions uh sort of Mm. bubbling in this country, right? Um and something I've thought about kind of ever since I got to this country is this like, Mm. yeah, if you can if if you can can keep Latinos and blacks convinced convinced that everybody who supports Trump is a racist uh and they don't want what's best for you, then it's easy votes right um and it, and from the media's point of view if you can keep people convinced that there's this like epidemic of police violence going on that's like that's going to be the most clicks you get on any article like the any anytime there's a police shooting and you can sort of frame it in this in this way um it's just uh ratings and sen- sensationalized so like and i think these are... These are forces, dry. Yeah, I mean, it's it-
1: that's. I mean, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I think you might be right. I mean, Brit- the British used this ta- tactic, mm. you know, across all the countries that they colonized. Right, find mm. something to divide people, and then it just makes it so much easier to rule over them. That's kind of why, like, the whole Muslim Hindu, like, you know, tension started in India. Like, the British, like, really, really went into countries and, you know, mm. created divisions among people. So it's it's a very effective way to rule. Mm.
0: How much do that, you think
1: is on purpose?
2: What? Uh, I was just gonna say. I wonder how if that's true in Israel too, because like they they basically are like colonizing there too. But I wouldn't be surprised. I don't. That's never something that like anyone's talked about. Talked about. I mean, it was pre- we learned about it. It's called like the divide and rule policy.
1: They mm. used it in many many countries that the British colonized. Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah, I don't know, like, because I mean, in the past election it it doesn't doesn't well okay the latino vote for trump went up right so like there was a lot of narrative right. around oh well this you know like this community is just not buying this narrative that they should just vote democrat because they're the non-racists right mm-hmm. um but i think like rachel you would say like you would look at that data and say well actually almost 70% are still voting democrat so it's actually like kind of is still working in a sense uh to some degree but i mean obviously there's a lot of factors going into how people vote but yeah i don't know um it just yeah it's 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 and i mean when you see like what abc does with this narrative and like presenting i don't know they had like a black lives matter protester just kind of making these really strong assertions um that you know I, i felt like yeah like you're simplifying things a lot and and it's yeah. not clear what what kind of expertise you're sort of speaking from here right. in this and and um yeah i don't know like it's it just it does seem unfortunate to me i mean i guess like somebody if somebody from cnn was here they'd say oh well like sorry for trying to like raise awareness about important issues mm-hmm. of racial justice in our country um, and I think, but, but yeah, that's that's somewhat of, legitimate, too.
1: But it is a little divisive, right? Because at one point, the activists said that, oh, yeah, I guess if they were Black Lives Matter protesters, then they would have been, you know, shot and killed because Black lives really don't matter in this country. Mm-hmm. And now that's a very strong statement. And I find that just very divisive. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not... Mm-hmm.
0: It, yeah why why not follow that up with an interview with one of the black policemen who Who was like facing facing down this mob heroic like it's just a very yeah Yeah. you can just tell the the narrative the narrative that they're pushing is that like yeah the country's super racist and like they yeah did not choose to like critically sort of challenge that assumption at all about um which but somebody has think... to stand
1: up and say, but, you know, but it's, you know, you have to look at a lot of things. You can't just make statements like that. Yeah. And then, you know, just leave it at that.
0: And that's, I don't know, it's super hard. Like nobody's really, not not many people are willing to do that, right? Like it's a very, very unpopular narrative. thing to do right now. Because then you get so, called sort of, a
1: racist. For-
0: <laughs> yeah, challenge yeah. that narrative. No, No matter how kind of. How extreme the statements being made are that you're right. sort of saying, uh, oh, well, I don't yeah. know if things are that bad. I <laughs> like, I don't know if that's totally in line with the evidence. Like, yeah, you just, I mean, that, uh, David Shaw guy that was an interesting case study. Um, so he's a, he was a data scientist when Black Lives Matter was going oh, on. He, right, right, right. He shared this, uh, article sort of showing that violent protests lead to like decreased vote, uh, for, yeah, for Democrats. He didn't say
1: anything, right? He didn't say anything. Right. He just shared that. He, he, yeah, he shared
0: yeah. it. And he was fired from his job soon after he was, you know, kicked off a, a sort of, um, an email list, um, for progressive data yeah. type people. Um, well, thank
1: God we work for the government. And so,
0: Yeah, people really don't, don't want to hear nuance. They don't want to hear sort of any kind of more centrist pushback on these kind of extreme narratives these days, which I guess connects me, Rachel, back to the earlier point is like, well, we, you know, we can identify biases. We can see them on both sides. Uh, we can sort of see how they're leading to this polarization, but then, yeah, what, what can we actually do about it? I mean, could, could David Shaw have, put a little American flag in his email and like <laughs> yeah, it, so, know, primed people with the American identity before he tried to push back or <laughs> I don't yeah, know.
2: Probably not. Um, yeah. So like, I think a lot of the, so a lot of the experiments that uh, researchers have done so far to try to bridge divides have like, they are all things that sort of, you have to have a willing pool of participants who mm. are, you know, mm. they want to engage in at least, you know, you're either paying them to be participants or they're like have some sort of internal motivation to bridge divides, which is mm. a lot of people in the center, but not so much people on the extremes. Um But they have done, you know, like in it, like in addition to priming a subordinate identity, they've done like imagined contact and vicarious contact and um mm. Writing like narratives where you sort of try to empathize with what the other side, where they're coming from. And all of these things like do work a little bit. Mm -hmm. But then I think like, yeah, the question is like, how do we get from there to the real world and Mm -hmm. to like actually changing people's minds who, who are at the extremes and who do like care deeply about Mm -hmm. what they're, what they're doing? Um, I think like, I tend to come from the perspective of like social norms and social proof. And like, I really like those ideas. And I think that it really is about making the voices of the people in the middle stronger, not as like, not in reactance to or in opposition to the extremists, but just like make it just stronger in and of itself, make it the dominant, like make it more clear that most people in America are not extreme they're not racist they're also not like on you know Mm -hmm. on either side they're just like regular Mm -hmm. people who have reasonable views yeah and they they, like most people like want to you know make sure that everyone has health care and that everyone has like reasonable living Mm -hmm. accommodations and um
0: my, okay, so how how can we do that?
2: That's a, I don't because the I don't know because like the thing that defines the middle is like. That they're quiet like yeah boring the- <laughs> and boring <laughs> i mean yeah the, the people who are speaking up are the people who
1: feel really strongly about things right it's uh, yeah you know yeah, you don't feel the- that strongly why would you go around sharing
0: you know the cnn's not going to get clicks about some article about about some moderate person who doesn't feel very strongly about, <laughs>
3: about
1: i know yeah
2: it's the same right. problem of like uh, pluralistic ignorance you know where like right. all the college students uh, like are Not that many of them are binge drinking and, you know, getting drunk every weekend, but they're the only ones you see getting wild in the streets, and so mm. you think everyone is doing that. And so, like, what people mm. do to try to intervene is, like, they'll, they'll do trainings and, like, ask students, you know, what percentage of students do you think drink alcohol, and mm. then they, like, sort of – it's um, like a metacognitive training where they, like, fix their uh, perceptions – and that mm. is supposed to work. So I don't know. Maybe Not just if you like- believe in
1: fake media. <laughs> 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 then what
3: do you do?
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. Cause like there's so much distrust mm. and there's so much like, yeah. I mean,
1: we might have to go back to classic, like, you know, contact theory, right? Put them in camps, pol- political <laughs> camp. Every summer, you know, well, you send a bunch of conservatives mm. and liberals together.
0: Uh,
1: they have to come up with, you know, a policy together. Well, but yeah, but we'll what are you going to that- do?
2: Like, go to their house and arrest them and
0: you know, put them <laughs> in oh, a camp? Oh, actually, <laughs> on that, Smriti, <spritory, laughs> there's, um, yeah. there's this organization that does that with uh, high school mm-hmm. students. And there's a documentary, I think it's on Hulu, called Boys State uh, which is like this 1500 teenage boys come together once a year and they do this whole government exercise. Access- like it's actually really cool. Check it out mm. if you can find it.
1: It's like politically. Yeah.
0: Yeah. More, yeah. Oh, um, interesting. Uh, very, mm. very cool. Very moving actually too. Um, I mean, the other solution, the other obvious solution is podcasting. So like mm. more centrist people starting podcasts. Rachel, I believe yeah. you were in talks. About starting a podcast? Or, or am I wrong about that?
2: Um, the, nope, not me. <laughs>
0: okay. Uh, maybe I was thinking about something else. Um, well, well, people well, have
2: to listen to
1: podcasts. I'm sure there are a lot of, no, sure a lot of centrist like, podcasts so that people don't know about.
2: My Here's my suggestion. This is what we're going to do. Right, So, right. Um, you know how like there's a lot of trolls and bots on Twitter yeah. who will basically just like, try to rile things up? Yeah, Mm -hmm. like Trump? We do the opposite. We come up with (laughs) an algorithm to just tweet a bunch of just, like, boring (laughs) things. Random.
3: (laughs) Yeah.
2: And just flood it, you know, just, like, try to make it more representative of what real people's views are. Yeah. Hashtag temperate temperate Twitter.
0: You could find the ten things that Americans (laughs) all agree about and just constantly tweet about them. So I think, like, Dolly Parton universally like
1: everybody liked. loves dolly parton yeah
0: is tom hanks has he has has he divided the country yet i don't i don't know I, I just feel like there's there's gotta be like a few yet. things
1: yeah mount rushmore might be one that people still like mm. i don't know i don't know these mm.
0: statues of old white guys oh, is yeah, not guess, not very popular these days the, people like coffee uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: coffee (laughs) yeah i don't know
0: yeah yeah coffee versus tea because then there's a common enemy of like the uk (laughs) and the the tea obsession and the um,
1: bachelor everybody seems to love the bachelor we can mm, tweet about that
0: yeah yeah no i think like i i agree like in, in in some ways and i this connects me with something you've said to me in the past. Is it like part of the role of social psychology is to be providing this data, right? Like almost right. like journalists, like yeah. accurate data about what people believe, what people are like. What descriptive you know, work
1: is super animated right. and in psychology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh
0: and seems to me pretty imp- important, at least right. in this area. So like yeah. yeah, I know Rachel, you've done like one of your blogs was about like um showing that like if you actually look at the data people's beliefs are not really the, people don't have very accurate perceptions of what the other side people on the other side actually do say about issues concrete issues so that's all very valuable and good and positive uh, yeah i can't help but it feeling seems- pessimistic about it yeah, because then S- people will success, start saying though.
1: that, you know, if sampling bias exists and, you know, mm. I, now it seems like you, if people don't want to believe what you're saying, then they just won't believe what you're saying. That seems yeah. to me the problem, right? They'll say, oh, you're, you know, these scientists, uh, these, you know, researchers, they mm. sort of, you know, mess, you know, mess up their statistics. We can't believe. I don't know. But I'm also pessimistic all about like
2: leftist liberals. I exactly. Mean, we are. So like. Mm.
1: Exactly. So it's like if, if the people on the right don't want to really believe it, they will mm. not believe
2: it. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, one thing that like actually would I think help- oh, you
1: people on the left right now we're retracting papers because we don't agree with what the data is saying. So mm-hmm. sorry, mm-hmm. I didn't mean to cut you off, Rachel, ma'am. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, no, I was just gonna say that. Um, if like, I think like people do take their cues from leadership a lot and there is there are like a bunch of papers on how leaders like the the sorry like the elected officials have become extremely polarized over time like everyone agrees on that and then there's like data showing that because of that um that has led to the affective polarization that we're seeing where like people hate each other um Mm -hmm. because you know it it like divides and, and creates these camps and i think we don't have to convince all the millions of people living in America that, or even, you know, the extremists that they need to like each other. If, as long as we can convince the like 500 or so so people that are in like in the federal positions to not be so like extremely vile towards each other.
1: So kind of like we can, we create, you know, the, it wasn't like Anthony Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, like friends. We should, like, have Mitch McConnell become friends with AOC. you think that will help?
0: (laughs) I mean, I think it would.
1: Yeah, if the people Mm. saw them having coffee together. Yeah. I I think it would change people's mind.
0: AOC could lose a job. I I guess I just think, like, if your electorate is, you know, uh, Mm. in a complete, like, information bubble, um, just consuming, like, all the talking points of one side – Um, you know is is already like like pretty effectively effectively polarized against the other side yeah like do you do you is it is it politically safe for somebody like AOC to to be going back to her electorate and saying yeah you know what Ted Cruz he's like he's actually an okay guy we had we had dinner together and like could that not I just think that that is almost exactly what her base doesn't doesn't want from her. And she knows that. And the incentives are just, the, but not that's the thing, right? You
1: can't, as a, it's an elected official, your job is not to appease your, right? Your job is to do what's right for the country, not well, what, not just to stay in power. But that's what I, I think if more people worried less about their own power and more about doing the right thing. Like I think that would move things in a right direction. And I think that's true both in politics and also in academia, right? I think for most people it's just, you know, what will get them published, what will get them right? It's less about trying to like of course, like you have to like like again, I like so when we you, when need you're to So we just need humans to be better. <laughs> yeah. That's yes. that's your solutions.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah it could we work. need people could to work.
1: act with more integrity, right? Like you can't just because people don't want to hear it. Doesn't yeah. mean you shouldn't say it.
2: Well, I mean, I think, I don't know if I agree that the role of elected officials is to do what's right. Cause like, it's a democracy and we elect them right. to like be our, like represent our voice. And so if, you know, all of AOC's uh, electorate, like if they all want her to be this like super extreme, um, person, then that, that's what she should be. Cause like, that's no. democracy. But I don't, but I don't I, know if that's actually, I think like, no. yeah, I don't know. Cause most I'm voters sure if are. I agree,
1: but what if, what if like at some point something happened and the most of the country agrees that we should go to nuclear war with China? Like, it could could be the case that there could be a majority where people would agree and you ask them, like, should we go to war with China? And people would be like, yeah, we should go to war with China. Like, should we go to war with China? I mean, that's, you uh, know,
2: that's why democracy is bad. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Like, I hear what you're saying that you should sort of follow the, you know, you should listen to your constituents but gosh I also think that they put you in charge to some extent because they trust your judgment and I think sometimes it's like being a parent right like of course you want to do what's you know listen to your child and you know let them you know be their own people and listen to them but at the same time at some point you have to make tough decisions based on what's right for them Mm -hmm. so
3: yeah
1: yeah like, I'm sure people so in we, California we, didn't want to go on a strict lockdown, but you know, I mean, I know Gavin Newsom, he himself was partying things up and, you know, going to, I didn't restaurants expect,
0: so, yeah. I didn't expect this podcast to end with us coming out against democracy, but <laughs> <laughs> that's the nice thing about more of a comment than a question. You, you never know where, <laughs> yeah. where you're going to end up. Could we maybe do a quick discussion about Trump's Twitter ban? Cause I, I oh, like, yeah, I yeah, feel yeah. like it kind of connects with this. Um, yeah. Trump's been banned from Twitter. I don't know what I we think it, about it. I've yeah. been trying to I've yeah, I've been sort of vacillating. What I don't know, what, what do you both think about this?
2: I also go back and forth. Um I I I don't know. I mean, I think Twitter is a private company and they have terms of service, and that they also have. And you know, if you violate those terms of service, then you're gone. Um, I mean,
0: but the tweets that they said he was actually banned for didn't violate anything. Yeah, they, I feel like they, they could weren't have. like they made such a weak argument for this I terms mean, of service thing that it was a
1: lot of tweets
0: from. Well, let's him. as a, as a baseline, can we all just agree that well, this is not like a principled thing. This is not like oh, we're just applying the rules. Like it's, it's not. It's nothing to do with like. This is Actually, this is clearly I mean, like a democratic thing in terms of well, almost all our employees want to ban him. Uh, the, the arguments about the exact tweets that we're banning him for, that, that comes after the fact of we just want um, him off Twitter because we believe he's inciting insurrection. And ultimately, we're all utilitarians. So we're all, we all just care about consequences, not principles anyway.
1: I, I'm not sure I agree with that. Just because, I mean, I'm sure most people working at Twitter didn't want him on there even before this whole thing happened, right? So like they could have very yeah. easily pulled the plug on him much earlier, which,
0: that's what right. I hear. But, I have but a friend he, who works at Facebook, to- and it's a similar thing, like the employees of yeah. these companies have been against him, most I'm of sure. them, not all of them, yeah. but most of them have been pushing for exactly kick trump Danny off him, yeah. kick, kick all the hate groups off yeah. um yada, yada, but if, yada, but it's but not did- what i I guess what I'm saying is like there's no principle like for example, Reza Aslan, he's a journalist. Uh, he tweeted something like, "If if they um confirm Amy Coney Barrett, we burn it all to the ground." Right. So, like, you know, doesn't get banned from that. Like, clearly, you could interpret that as a cause for violence. That's inciting, putting people at risk. But that's yada so yada abstract.
1: Yada. Burn more to the ground. Well,
2: I mean, I burn think it, it is
0: societies.
2: <laughs> I, I think. It- yeah. I mean, in the case of Trump, though, he. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I think like yeah, you have to look at the. First, they had actual evidence that like real consequences resulted from trump's words like it wasn't just like some guy tweeting something you know burn it even if it was like a specific thing that he wanted to burn to the ground like if there if no one's listening and no one's gonna do anything then it's i don't know less it's it's not as bad um I don't know mm-hmm. and, and yeah, and like Trump is like. Mm-hmm. Has I think the rules should apply to him more
0: strictly yeah. than to other people. Trump. Yeah, like he, yeah, if you're he more- definitely caused it in the sense that if he hadn't have done certain tweets, certain things, it probably wouldn't have happened. But how many other hundred people could you say that about? Like if the if the mayor of DC had have like arranged for more police to be present, it probably wouldn't have been wouldn't have happened if. How many other right-wing commentators or groups, uh, you know, if, like, he's the Delta the hadn't free world. allowed like, these people to fly, to if Airbnb them? hadn't given them places to stay, I, I don't know, like, yeah, he's a fr- – I don't know, I still just don't – like, okay, so if, if you disagree with me that it's not – it wasn't a principled thing that we're just applying rules, so what – like, what – what are these principled rules? Because, like, I mean, we we can agree that the Twitter statement didn't really make much sense, what they said about.
1: No, I think the argument they made in their statement didn't make much sense. I think there's a much stronger argument to be made that could be made, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if you take all his tweets from Mm mid-December, like, what is it, December 19th, he tweeted Mm -hmm. something out, oh, the rally, you know, at the on 6th of january be there it's going to be wild mm-hmm.
2: you know or that, there's that's some- sorry.
0: it's going to be wild how is that not <laughs> yeah i don't right? yeah but i feel like, like they
2: didn't like defend their case like super well but, then but they could have put,
1: but they well if you take all his tweets from then until then and then take it into context of what he said during the rally Right? Didn't he say that, oh, you know, we're going to march and I'm going to want march with you and you can't, you have to, like, show courage and you can't show weakness. You Mm -hmm. have to show strength and we won't let, we'll take the, right? Like, what else is is... that supposed to? No, I mean, but it's I, could, like, I could show
0: it's you a like hundred speeches from left-wing people where they talk about showing strength and showing courage. Where they are saying we'll march to this yeah, particular that's just, this, is what active, this is what people say at rallies. Like, we're going to march there. We're going to show them our strength. We're going to, like, we're going to make them well, change I, I their I, mind. I, like, it's, well, you know my position. Really I would say we should ban
1: those people, rhetoric. too. Like, I, I am against like, this like
0: you can end, end up ending like all political yeah speech and that's that's should- probably not where you want to go
2: <laughs> well i think okay so this is going to be controversial maybe but <laughs> <laughs> i i'm not as like free speech uh like a strong supporter of free speech for the sake of free speech i think like I am a strong supporter of free speech in academia and, um, in politics, as long as it's like trying to promote an opinion, um, mm. and like an actual, you know, it can be based in facts or not, but like it has to be
1: ideas. It, it's
2: yeah. Ideas, not just like hate speech and right. inciting violence. Like I don't think that everyone has the right to like say whatever mm. they want, if they're just going to be threatening mm. or, um, or inciting violence. Yeah.
0: I agree. So you can't hmm, you can't ban people questioning election results, right? Because there no. are f- there are fraudulent elections all over the world all the time, right? So you can't put a ban on that. You can't put a ban on people saying, "Come to this rally; it's going to be wild." Uh,
1: but if the rally, like, but if you're the, pre- like, you have to also, you know, you can't hold every other Twitter bot mm. and the president of the United States. So you can't know, hold like, uh, p- that to the same standard. Like, come on. We have to, right? Like, you sort of see that there's a difference, <sighs> right? Like, you, like.
0: No, I, I do. And I, but I, so for me, when I was thinking about this and I was thinking really hard, I like, but because. I get hung up a lot of the time on, like, what's the principle here? Like, what's the rule? Like, and and if there's a rule, I want to see these organizations apply it equally and stuff like that. But where I sort of got to in the end was, like, well, you know, ultimately I don't think there is a right to free speech. I I think that, like, there's no absolute right to free speech. Ultimately, uh, and I've said this before on the podcast, like, ultimately I think, like, ethically i'm more of like a consequentialist so like i generally support free speech because i generally think it it leads to better outcomes that we have free speech but i i don't think there's an absolute right and i and i just think in this case it's like it you almost get to this point where you're like yeah there's no there's no consistent principle being applied but maybe that's just okay because it it life is just this case-by-case thing that we're trying to create the best consequences like we're trying to minimize harm overall and in this case yeah pretty clear that the president was ginning up this mob and it led to this horrible incident so like let's worry about the details later let's just get this guy off twitter uh now um because it's pretty clearly the right thing to do in this case but i i still like i'm i'm not sure you could formulate um a set of rules but where it's what? really clear that um those rules can be applied equally uh and that's would wouldn't lead to, you know, uh counterintuitive consequences in, in other cases.
1: But the question of, like, what are the rules and what are the, right, like, that depends on who's making the rules, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, according to the U.S. government, you do have the right to free speech, right? Mm -hmm. You can just stand on the corner of the road and you can Mm -hmm. say whatever you want. You Mm -hmm. can make your own website and put on that wherever you want. Like, Mm -hmm. nobody can, you know, take it, you know, nobody can sort of stop you from doing those things, but...
0: Well you, you might know, have to build your own internet now. Because yeah. like I mean Amazon well, Amazon and the Google like the thing but yeah, about you
1: have the right to do that, right? If you if you really want your word <laughs> out, then and I'm not saying that of course, but it's like saying uh, let's say you go to a school where they have certain rules that you can't wear red shoes. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's But if you want to go to that school, then you don't wear the red shoes, right? If you want to publish on, if you want to stay on Twitter, right? Like, they are free to make their own rules. And that's how, when you have influence, that's how you change norms, right? Is by putting forth what your principles are and then
2: turning them into rules for your platform. Yeah, but it's like, it's really risky. I mean, well, I think there's two things. Like, one is, there's, like, there's really not. Good alternatives like the the barriers to entering the market and like you know like even right. you know new social media companies like parlor are like okay then i will make my own my own platform and we can talk right. about whatever we want there and then Amazon, right. amazon's like no you can't and they shut them down right. um and so like does everyone who wants to say something have to like create like a huge Their infrastructure identity. Yeah, I mean, I see the problems. I'm not saying it's but at the
1: same time, I mean, humans have done that for as long as we know, right? Social ostracism is how we lead to change, right? Back when we lived in just, you know, hunter gatherer societies, it's what you did is like, if somebody was doing things that you didn't want them to do, you ostracized them socially. And that was a form of punishment. Like, this is how I see it, right? It's like, Like, I'm not saying it's okay for certain people to have that much power. Like, I see the issues with it. Mm. But, you know, Mm. ostracism is sort of how we've changed things in the
0: past. It's, yeah, sure. But if you think about it in in those terms, it's like, what you have here is like a, a relatively small and incredibly wealthy group of people. That are able to make those decisions about right. ostracism and what they think is going to lead to bad consequences and who, who should be allowed to say what. And in this case, I, th- I feel like most people agree with them. And most people right. w- probably when they heard our oh, Trump's being kicked off Twitter, they were like, good, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, so in this case, we all agree with all those employees at Twitter. Um, and the Twitter CEO and the Amazon and all these other companies and the decision that they've made but like it is an enormous amount of power for these people to have and it's like i think there is something to the argument that like it's actually not easy to just create your own internet and and platform and like it is Something tantamount to censorship to like for these people to be able to say, no, this, these are things you can't say. Like that, the, an interesting example was that Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, before the election, there was this story in the New York Post about. Hunter Biden's laptop uh that, <laughs> that was such was, a bizarre like, story. Dropped Some off, blind this, guy was yeah dropped off at this yeah repair store, <laughs> and, and Rudy Giuliani ended up with it, and they were like, "This is <laughs> going to be explosive" and stuff like that. And it was pretty clearly, it seems pretty transparently, to have been a pretty clumsy attempt to have this gotcha moment that's go- that was going to swing the election or something like that. Um Facebook just like banned that article you couldn't share it on Facebook like mm-hmm. it they they set up an algorithm to s- stop people sharing that information um i guess because from their point of view they decided there was nothing substantial in it like it wasn't true and it was dangerous because it might lead people to vote for Trump and so they decided to like censor that article and like I'm really glad Biden won. I I was phone banking for Biden and stuff like that. But it, I mean, it does make you feel like, wait, that's, that feels like cheating a little bit. Well, well,
2: I mean, like, it was dangerous because it's fake news and because it, like, it's not that there was, like.
0: But does Facebook know, know, did they know for sure it was fake news? I mean,
2: I I think the New York Post was just
0: reporting facts about this is, this is what they're saying. This is the claim that these people are making. Uh, which is, is, but yeah, people making claims a,
1: are not facts,
0: right? No, but like politicians, like if you check AOC's politifact or like she's said things that are false also, right? Like it, True. it does happen from time to time. And so this huge company is able just to sort of step in in the week before an election and say, ah, oh, the New York Post article, this cannot be shared. I don't know, like but that. Don't
1: you think that similar things exist on the other side? I mean, Fox News still exists, right? They still share whatever they want to share with people. So does Alex Jones, right? He's still yeah. functional and making, giving out, mm. you know, Breitbart. Aren't they still around, right? Sure. Like, but you do have other, you know, other media outlets that do mm.
0: and, do and this so- the same thing on. And so what like we we will just get this situation where like there's just like completely different information diet for I mean I for feel like that's no, what's happening like, already on their, whether right or left right right don't and you think
1: that that's already happening but
0: is it a good thing that we no, want to accelerate right not. so that's kind of my point
1: Well but I I also don't think that means that we should you know leave people on Twitter that are inciting violence
3: hmm yeah mm. also
2: like what do you think the solution is like i mean i was like sort of toying with the idea of like what if there is a social media platform that was just like owned by the government would that be better but like mm. it seems like that would you know that's like people consider mm. that to be a bad thing because i don't mm. know they won't, they don't want government in control mm. of our speech but what's the alternative like the The thing about social media is like it has to be pretty centralized for it to be functional for it to be useful, because, like if everyone's on their own platform, then no one's talking to each other. and like that's not what social media is. And so we have to have like a, just a small number of companies, but then mm. a small number of people have a lot of control. and like i mm. i I agree with like Paul, it's too yeah. much control so sure. like
0: violence inciting violence it's really it's interesting because you i i i remember thinking about this i was in a conservative after trump got elected i joined some conservative groups just to like try to figure out what what was the deal with these people and i remember having this conversation with somebody and they were there were some liberals in this group it was kind of a political debate group and people were talking about how conservative politicians i think there was a terror attack it was a um white supremacist terror attack against a mosque in canada and these sort of liberals were making the argument that uh well you know trumps to blame for this or like conservative politicians i think they were talking about canadian politicians but they have a responsibility because their words their sort of like uh, islamophobic rhetoric is what leads to these attacks so they're directly responsible for these attacks and this conservative guy was saying that's that's bullshit like you you can't make a direct um like people are allowed to say their opinions and if they have like an opinion about the religion of islam they're allowed to say that opinion and just because some crazy person takes that and does something you can't connect that to the politician and i I remember thinking like i bet you you've made the exact argument when it was like the opposite side so i dug back through like years of posts And I found it. Like, I I nailed this guy. It was beautiful. I was like... So, in there was a Dallas Black Lives Matter protest where a black former uh, military member shot and killed, like, four policemen from, like, a sniper position or something like that. And when that happened, he posted this is obama's fault right this is obama's fault for his rhetoric about how the police treat black americans and i i found that and i showed it to him and i'm like oh it seems like you took the opposite position in this case and that was one rare occasion where he was like oh like nice (laughs) nice detective work you you really you really you know he kind of admitted that i i had him there but
1: wait, but wait, but he blames the why, politician in both cases?
0: No, no, no. In in the in Obama's case, he said, yeah, Obama's oh, rhetoric Obama's led to this violence. In the in the case Canadian. of the Islamophobic politician, oh, he's like, you can't politician. blame, the, like, politician you can't blame the politician crazy. because mm. some crazy person did it, right? Mm. But I guess my point is this 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 concept of you've incited violence with your political rhetoric, it's incredibly slippery and it's incredibly subjective. And Sure. You're, I'm you're totally making, for like, case by case. You're I'm- making these causal leaps in both cases that are rarely going to be, like, provable or disprovable. And I just, I think that will never be applied, uh, without bias, right? That, that standard of, uh, this, this political rhetoric led to this deranged, like, person being violent. It's, it's just so easy, I think, for people to apply that and make assumptions that are themselves like quite, quite biased and unprincipled.
1: I think, I think one of the solutions might be to have more conservative people in leadership positions in places like Twitter and Facebook. Right. Like if you, if you try, I mean, I know that it's probably not going to be easy, but it seems like if the idea is that, yeah, there's these like liberal biases in all these places, then why aren't we trying to get more conservative people? that will sort of hold the other position or try to make it more, you know?
2: Yeah. I mean, people say the same thing about academia and social psychology and we need more conservatives here, but yeah, but like ultimately, like, I don't think that you need to, I mean, I don't want to like force people to do something that they don't want to do. And so like, if no one's true. Sure conservatives
1: people want to yeah. be on the leadership <laughs> of Twitter.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's probably more, uh, than like in academia, at least. Um, right. but, and you know, maybe just like removing whatever, uh, like, I'm sure there's like some sort of like discrimination or prejudice against, uh, conservatives right. in these companies at the lower ranks that like prevents right, them right. from rising to the top.
3: But yeah.
2: I don't know if we'd ha- if they have to be in the leadership of the companies. Like, what if we had some sort of legislation where, like, in order to ban people, you sort of, like, have to go to court? Like, you mm-hmm. can't just decide it on your own. And then mm-hmm. in a maybe there's, like, a special committee or court or whatever mm-hmm. that it treats these cases and sort of has, mm-hmm. like, a neutral third party. Sounds
1: like a jury, right?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Maybe. I I, mm, I keep just imagining some like like oil shake from the Middle East buying all these companies and like now <laughs> n- now now it's just all under control of somebody with a complete different ideology from like upper middle class leftists in the U.S. and I just think everybody's positions about um, censorship would change pretty fast. But I also I don't know I do think like when I've when I've been thinking about okay so what's my What's the scenario that I'm I'm thinking about where, like, it could be re- really bad for these companies? To it does sort of involve, yeah, like, I don't know, the leadership of these companies or the ownership changes, right? Like, they get bought out by uh, somebody with very different values to me, and then they, you know, they ban Bernie Sanders because they decide that his rhetoric is uh, too like insightful of it. insightful. Insightful with a C, incite, inciting of, of violence, uh, and stuff like that. And it's riling people up too much. And, and it's, you know, um, it's fake news and stuff like that. And so they, ba- they ban, I don't know, Andrew Yang or so, like, and, and I guess like people might say, well, that hasn't happened. And if that does happen, then we can fight against it. And I think like, okay, that's probably true.
2: I don't know. I mean, I think it is, I think we should have rules in advance. Like, I don't think like post hoc sort of decisions are, are a good way to handle these things. But it's also like, it's also new, you know, like, I don't know how long has Twitter been around for like 10 mm-hmm. years? 10 years, I think somewhere around that. Yeah. We can't expect them you know, and all these social media companies, like we can't expect them to just like have everything all figured out already. Yeah. And things evolve mm-hmm. all the time. You know, there's like new yeah. algorithms and new whatever. Mm-hmm. And like, so I think that we, like and uh, I, there are people in government who are trying to work on um how to regulate the big companies in a Mm. better way but it's just like we have to be patient and wait for them to give it time yeah yeah i'm I'm
1: with rachel on that especially and yeah like it just not having those rules in place like beforehand like that's how bias creeps in right when you're sort of, so well, I think, no, oh, but, but the right, idea is you, no, can't, but Twitter you can't, does anticipate, have... but the problem is you can't anticipate everything that might happen in a situation like this, because, you know, again, like, yeah, these platforms yeah. are not, not that old. And I think the more we keep, like, you know, as, as mm. time goes on, people will realize all the problems and you keep start, you know, changing mm. your policies, um, to sort of adapt to these new situations. But,
0: but isn't it more just like everybody understands that, there are no absolute rights like deep down and so like even even if you try to enshrine some kind of rules or some kind of guarantees situations are going to come up where you just kind of want to abandon them for some greater more pressing good and so like you know we're we're all yeah, just kind of pretending like same- that we have like these principles and rights and and it's all actually just like this messy case by case consequentialist just muddling our way through
1: Well, that kind of sounds like what if you're a cop that knows, you know, absolutely that this person has committed murder, but you didn't read them their Miranda rights before you arrested them, right? Like, are you, you know, what Mm -hmm. should you do? Should you just like, you know, make up, right? You can't do that, even though you might know. Yeah, so I agree that it will lead to some loopholes, but I do think that it is important to at least try your best to put those principles you know to sort of formalize those principles to to the extent that you can it won't be perfect of course but
2: yeah i mean with any like with any piece of legislation or like any law there's there's always ways to interpret it that's why there are courts to like figure it out and like apply a case-by-case basis but i don't know just trying to have yeah some sort of rules in place because Like, I do, yeah, I really do go back and forth. I feel like I've been more on the side of like, it's okay that we, that they banned Trump and Parler and like a bunch of other people. Um, but I do go back and forth on it because like, it's a problem and there's not, there's, there aren't easy alternatives for people. And it's a, we want, we do want people to like be able to express their views. Um, and I also think like from a more pragmatic, point of view like you're just feeding into their conspiracy theories of like you know trying to silence us and shutting us down and like yeah ultimately maybe making people even more extreme than they were and like that's not a good thing
0: maybe maybe yeah it's, i mean but maybe do think, not. i don't know i haven't i haven't studied the evidence about that but like for example in in europe um i think there's much stricter f- restrictions on freedom of speech about certain topics like holocaust denial and stuff like that i'm not sure i haven't really heard anybody claim that that has led to those views you know festering in in the underground and becoming actually more powerful uh it, i'm not so i'm not i'm not totally sure that like, cause the, the claim is kind of that our oh, censorship doesn't work because, uh. But
1: America is more just... polarized on these topics than, you know, let's say Europe is mm. on. Whether, whether the Holocaust, Holocaust I'm happened. yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. For sure. Of like wh- whether the election was stolen.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there's more like existing like frameworks for people to latch on to and. Yeah. But maybe not, yeah, I am also like not confident about that like it's it's very likely that just like all of the when it becomes less like mainstream to spout conspiracy theories about the election being stolen, then people just sort of forget about it and move on. Hmm. Uh, I don't know hmm. yeah, do you think that people well, their opinions are
1: fine, but what if people are just telling? lies and they have a large audience you think that should also be okay like it should be okay for people like should it be okay for the new york times to just publish lies
0: uh i mean that there's is there a law against that i mean there's defamation law i guess yeah no there's no law against that i'm just asking right like a person right like obviously morally i don't think people should lie should there be a law against? I guess because I mean, ultimately, you have to mind read somebody to prove that they know that they were lying, and we can't really mind read. Maybe, hmm. maybe if well, neuroscience advances enough.
1: Well, but where does it? But no, it's not about intention, right? Like if you're if you're a teacher at a school and you're telling people that the Earth is six thousand years old, you well, probably do believe that the school is the world is six thousand years old. My question is, should you be able mm. to do that?
0: Mm. I mean, a lot of people say things that are false and give false information all the time, I, I don't know if you can legislate, yeah, but what, but legislate the question that
3: away.
1: Is, yeah, but the question is, when you're clearly in a position of influence where what you say others will believe, right, should you be allowed to... Sh- should that be okay? Should there be no rules against that?
0: I mean, what? so we, we're going to shut down every church now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Because the the pastor is up there saying things uh, that are pretty speculative. um, I mean, I'd I'd be okay with that, that, but yeah. (laughs) You know, maybe don't stand up to strict tests of science. And uh, he had, they, they have a position of influence so i don't know i just uh, yeah so now we're honestly.
2: shutting down democracy shutting down all <laughs> religious institutions
0: eventually <laughs> 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 this podcast will be the only thing left uh,
1: yeah should, shutting down academia probably
0: yeah hmm. yeah. sounds yeah. good i'm all yeah. for it anyway <laughs> it sounds like a plan. um i should i should let you i should let you go which is Obviously what people say when they want to go. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I do have to uh, have, have some parenting to do. All so, right. Um, yeah, yeah, lovely to, lovely to talk to you. Thanks so much yeah, for joining us, so much Rachel. thanks for
2: coming on, Rachel. Yeah, yeah. thanks for having this me.
0: Was, uh, I think we probably yeah, solved fun. most of America's problems. There's, there may be a few residual <laughs> ones and we would probably lo- yeah, we will love to have you back uh, sometime soon.
3: Yeah, I'd talk
1: about it. Yeah. All right. Great. All right. Well, have a good semester. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah all all right. too.
0: Have a good weekend.
1: Yep.
0: All right.
3: See you guys. Bye.